Yo, hungry homies, meet Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV. Beam lets you play everything you love, from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, what? and more, all with rich sound that fills the room. It is super simple to set up, but if you don't even want to bother, Sonos will send someone to do it for you. That's right. If you live in any major metropolitan area, there's a business up and running is what it's called. Up and running will have a Sonos expert deliver and set up your system at the low, low price of free. Now, let me tell you something. Sonos and the good people at Up and Running did this for me. And I am a tech moron. I believe it has been demonstrated throughout the years uh, through these podcasts and in other walks of life that I am not the most handy tech dude. So it was a great relief to have two very charming young folks come to my house. They knew exactly what to do. They told me exactly where to point my phone. They, they uh, unboxed the whole thing. We got it positioned in exactly the right way. It was uh, very efficient. They couldn't have been more pleasant. They really dummy-proofed it for me. And I'm telling you, this thing was up and running in less than an hour. It sounds amazing. I put it in a huge room. The front of my house has like a living room area that um, is not really intended for television, but that's where I have my TV. And this thing, the sound for the television, as I listen to uh, uh, the Washington Wizards lose multiple games in a row, it's absolutely beautiful. It is sonorous, if I can use an SAT word. Just order the Sonos Beam from Sonos.com and select up and running at checkout if you qualify. They will come and do this for you. It is awesome. I cannot recommend it highly enough. My taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades, we've done it. We are back. You are here. House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people. By the hungry people, I am your hungry host, Joe House. This is the food podcast nominated by iHeartRadio, best food podcast 2018. We need you to vote, so please go do that. Today's episode should help you along your way. Adam Rappaport, our old standby, with a check-in on the fall palette, as well as some very helpful pointers. Thanksgiving is right around the corner. He's helping you with the Thanksgiving basics. You know Rappa always brings it. Surprise guest on the Food News, the Podfather himself. I'm in Los Angeles. He came on. We talked about a handful of election-related items, food items, and then a couple other uh, interesting items. We went we went off uh, on a couple tangents, as we are wont to do. Let's get in that belly with Rappo, and let's talk about some Thanksgiving eats. All right, my taste buds, the leaves have all changed. It's November. Halloween is in the rearview mirror. It is time officially 
to start getting serious about the holidays and to start thinking about your best fall eating. There is only one person on the planet capable of assisting me in helping you, my taste buds, think about, plan for, strategize the holidays in front of us and your best fall menus. Hungry homies, friend of the pod, the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit magazine, Adam Rappaport, is on the line. Joe House, how are you? I'm 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 outstanding. I mean, it's it's the very beginning of November and I am excited. I think the last time uh, we talked about fall food, I confessed that this is my very favorite eating quarter. I love like November the 1st is a is a a real uh it's it sits on the calendar. I have it in illuminated in silver. There I I would like to put holiday lights around it. It's like it is now time to eat. We're all allowed to eat for the next three months, Rappo. It, it's, it's eating season is what I like to call it. E- eating season. This is why you're the professional. Uh, <laughs> That's what I do for a living. It, it also dovetails nicely in the sports calendar with like the NBA and the NFL getting in full swing and college football. It's a good time of year. Great time of year. Great time of year. Okay, so look. We're going to tackle those important topics. Speaking of, uh, uh, you know, to use a football metaphor. But before we get going, I wanted to pick your brain. I'm not sure if you had an opportunity. It won't hurt my feelings if the answer is no. Uh, to, to listen to a recent podcast I did with the pod father himself, Bill Simmons, we took the experience, Bill Simmons and I took the experience that you and I had uh, back at the beginning of October. We participated in a wonderful charity outing. We played some golf. And then after the golf, we went and experienced a, a lovely meal at the club we played at that included the pasta bar, and that provided a really great fodder for the for the podfather and I to talk about you know the best elements of a pasta bar and why hasn't anybody really tried to uh, uh, take a crack at the elevated pasta bar? I wanted to to give you the opportunity before we get going here on the fall menu and uh, uh, the holidays. Let, let, let's uh, hear from you on, on your requirements for the, the optimal pasta bar. All right. First of all, I want multiple sauces. I want a simple red sauce. I have to have pesto. There's got to be some sort of Alfredo situation going on there. I love roasted garlic. I don't want just like the little minced up garlic. I like the already roasted garlic that you can fold into a sauce of your choosing. Oh. And... Pro move is, you know, like the really finely ground Parmesan cheese, you know, it's like powdery almost. Yes. When you, when you get your pasta made, don't have them pour it from the pan into the bowl and then top with Parmesan cheese. Ask the guy as he's tossing the pasta in the pan in that sort of elliptical manner that the professional chefs do to start showering the cheese in as he does that. So that will sort of create a, a saucy, cheesy emulsion um, with the sauce and the cheese, and it'll sort of dissolve and melt and become one with the sauce, as opposed to just having that, 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 that snow shower of cheese on top of your pasta. So you want to incorporate it into the sauce, if that makes sense. Well, let me ask. That makes uh, enormous sense. This is why I pose this question to you, because neither Bill Simmons nor I have the the requisite expertise to think about this emulsifying effect. But is it okay to ask the pasta bar uh, chef, him or her, uh, 
to do that emulsification, but also do the snow shower afterwards. Is that okay? Yeah, that's uh, hell yeah, it's okay. That's 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 a given. You just you you want your sauce, you want the emulsification, and then you hit it with the with the cheese on top. I mean, ultimately, in a perfect world, you would have the situation where you have the little portion bundles of pasta, whether it's a long pasta or a short pasta, like parboiled. So say it's an eight minute cook time, you would have them boiled seven minutes. And then when, when you order, the pasta guy would have his boiling sort of vat of salty, starchy pasta water, almost like a fry later, you know, where you sort of drop yeah. the fry basket into the oil. You yes. would instead, and restaurants had this, you would drop the pasta into the pasta, the salty, starchy water for one minute, take it out, Throw it in the pan, but then meanwhile, what you want any good restaurant will do in terms of making pasta sauce is they'll always take a couple of tablespoons or half a cup of that salty, starchy water, put it in the pan with maybe the red sauce or the bolognese to sort of loosen it up, but also, again, create this sort of almost like a vinaigrette-like emulsion between the starchy, salty water and and the sauce, and that sort of then cloaks each noodle with this sort of glossiness, this saucy glossiness, as I like to say, uh, and it and it becomes one. So there's nothing worse than like when you someone has a bowl of like naked noodles and just pours sauce on top. Like You don't want that. You want the noodles tossed in the pan with the sauce and the pasta water and then the cheese, and then if you really have a pro move... As you have the pasta water going in there with the sauce, you put a couple of pats of butter. And that's about, oh. about like a montecate in, in Italy, in Italian, meaning like you sort of, that even adds an extra level of sheen to your sauce. And that's when you, why you go, when you go to a really good restaurant, your pasta is almost like, like it, it gleams, it's glossy, it's shiny. And that's from the fat and the pasta water. Yeah. So this is why I, I posed the question to you. S- Simmons and I, did our very best in, in outlining the attributes. And I think we got the basics, right? We talked about the same sauces that you just mentioned. And we talked about the sort of conundrum of, of how do you get pasta? It's not quite al dente. You don't want pasta that's been cooked all the way to the perfect uh, pasta doneness and then dropped into some kind of holding container, um, you know, awaiting its its revival, its resuscitation. Uh, and the what, what you just described is, you know, I, I, we, we, of course, because we're dummies, um, talked about a resuscitation in probably crude terms. I, I, I think Viagra, we might have talked about Viagra or something in there. But what you're describing is, is uh, you know, a, a genuine, you know, not, not back from the dead necessarily because the pasta is not dead, but you're, you're fast forwarding that pasta into a finished product. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like taking a, a teenager and, uh, you know, essentially fast forwarding through the rest of his or her high school years, uh, getting him or her through Harvard and dropped into their MBA or JD program in this beautiful manner that that just couldn't be more delicious. Just couldn't hit each of the five senses any better. Is that is that what yeah, is that right? It is. And that's what I mean. Restaurant kitchens typically do this with a lot of different types of dishes. They park parboil them, par cook them, whatever you want to call it, to almost doneness, and they hold them on like a sheet tray. And then when someone orders said dish, they blast it under the broiler, or they drop it in the boiling water, or they hit it in the oil just to finish it off. And so it gets to your table crispy and hot and everything, uh, or saucy. And, you know, that's what's interesting, because there's, I feel like every time you go to a pasta bar, there's, there is no version of an elevated pasta bar. It's always that sort of hotel banquet sort of situation uh, where it's fine, but it could be better. 
it, that's this is what we were getting at. This, so this was the gist of the conversation. Are you aware of anybody out there? And I'm not trying to put you on the spot or asking you to, to name names. We put this to the hungry homies, and I got some suggestions. In fact, there's a place in Los Angeles. The name's going to escape me, and I'm not going to be able to look it up quickly enough. Um, that that uh, the the proprietor's attempts at sort of an elevated version of made-to-order pasta specced out to your own requirements and specifications. In your walk of life, you're all all you do is eat across these great United States of ours. Are you encountering this anywhere? Is there anybody there's, doing this? There's something similar. Uh, Mark Ladner, um, who is the former chef of Del Posto, Michelin three-star Italian restaurant here in New York, he opened a sort of a fast, casual concept called Pasta Flyer, uh, which is supposed to make quick, fast pasta at a high level that's affordable. Um, you know, you're still ordering it at a counter and a register and stuff. So there's not, you don't get to go up to the station. What's so much fun about the station is you're like, oh, give me a little of that. Actually put in a little caramelized onion. Oh, oh yeah. You know what? How about a little bit more sausage? And yeah, yeah, sure. Some fresh basil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. No, can I get a little bit more Alfredo? And as we talked about, hit the Alfredo with a little pesto. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's what's so much fun about the pasta station and, you know, and also the omelet station is that you get to drive kind of. You know what I mean? It's like you're, or you at least get the backseat drive. You, you, it's there's the a guy ultimate all, in, in customization. And it really is, you know, a, 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 a particular kind of food where the variables are so numerous um, that you really can, you know, have some, some great fun with it and, you know, uh, be participatory. Like you, you can't go to Morton's and stand with the, uh, the chef who's about to put your filet into the, you know, first hit it on top with the, uh, the char heat and then down into Mm -hmm. the oven. There's, there's no, you know, what's the fun in that? You know what that experience is going to be like, but the pasta bar, that's a place, that's an interactive environment, right? I I mean, we, we could we could do the, uh, what's it called when you ask for people for money on the internet? Uh, we could do our- Crowdsource, uh, crowdfund. Crowd, yeah, yeah, we, we, you know, get on it, start it. Let's go. Yeah, okay. Go fund me. That, isn't that what they call it? <laughs> there you go, yeah. Uh, what, what, what do I know? Anyway, okay. We, well, I'm glad that I asked, uh, as always, putting the professional spin- on things. This is why we have you on once a quarter. We are here to talk about fall food rapo. And I know that you have some ideas in mind for, for the, for the uh, fall belly. And then we're going to also make sure that we deliver some, some pro tips. Speaking of pro tips to all the taste buds out there as, as we start turning our attention to the delicious holidays, let's begin with the fall menu. Tell me one thing that you have going right now. That, that we can uh, turn the hungry homies on to. All right. Uh, what I did last night with my son, Marlon, and a couple of his friends, and what's a favorite among us staffers here at Bon Appetit is cast iron skillet pizza. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold uh, on. I, yeah. I understand the first three words. I know what a cast <laughs> iron skillet is. Um, and then you use the word pizza. Yeah, so you are making pizza within the cast iron skillet, so it's almost like your own personal pan pizza, and the crust gets super crispy and a little bit oily on the bottom, and the top gets all bubbly, and it sort of puffs up on the side, and you don't have to deal with the pizza stone and all that nonsense. You're just doing it in the oven, so it's insanely good, um, and your 10-year-old will like it, and your 48-year-old dad will like it just as much. Okay, well, you how can it be insanely good? It seems like the most important thing here is the quality of the crust. So can can we go through yeah. this? How does it work? 
Okay, so all right. Uh, so A, get a cast iron skillet. You should every every person should have a cast iron skillet in their kitchen. I, or I have to. I have to. Or twelve yeah. inch. Yeah, you're you're making steak. You're making pork chops. It's it gives you that perfect sear. It's good for frying eggs. Uh, it's just the best. Um, so A, get a skillet. Uh, if you don't know already, great to buy through Lodge or even buy them used is even better. So they're already all seasoned and worn in, uh, like an old pair of jeans. Love that. Okay, wait, wait, so, wait. I, I have to stop you. I have to interrupt you. Yeah. The used skillet. Wait a minute. Now, oh, yeah. is, is there a market? I, I, the one I use every day, I got it at a yard sale in like Virginia outside Roanoke on the way to a wedding like 20 years ago. Is there a market for such a thing right now? Could I go oh, on yeah, eBay I, and try and find a skillet? I imagine you could. They last forever. That's the thing. They literally last forever, and you can often resuscitate them if they're all rusty or whatever. People, well, you can burn off the stuff and rinse, right, wipe them out, and all that oh, sort of stuff. Uh, this is yeah, an eye opener. This is. I mean, yeah. you, I, I know. I, I know. I interrupted you on the pizza, but this idea of buying a preseason skillet that already has some years on it. I, I mean, we we do these great ads for Le Creuset, um, and yeah, and think well, about well, those Le Creuset. Yeah, as, as heirloom pieces, how about that? A a pre-owned yeah. skillet. Man, I'm I'm it's I'm so plate. on this. There's a I I I gotta. We're gonna have this whole podcast, and we're gonna go through <laughs> it, and we're gonna have all these great pointers. And they're telling you that the thing that I'm gonna do, the rabbit hole I'm going down after this is is the uh, the pre-owned skillet, the used skillet. So so thank you for that. All right, so you got your skillet. Um, all right, then you need dough. Okay, uh, there is like I live. I'm lucky. I live in New York City. We have a, I have like two Eataly's in New York City. Um, one by my work and one by my house. Weirdly enough, uh, they sell really great fresh dough. Um, it's almost like it has a multigrain quality to it. There's something going on in there other than just white flour. Uh, but it's all yeasty and alive and sort of gets very fluffy and aerated. Um, and you can buy it in little quart containers. Um, that's excellent. You can buy lots of good frozen dough these days. Sometimes like at places like Whole Foods, and Whole Foods also sells fresh dough, oftentimes in quart containers. And so I would look at your local Whole Foods to see what they have in terms of pasta dough. Or finally, what I think is always a good option, you can walk into pretty much any pizzeria, especially places that deliver a lot or sell slices, and just say you want to buy a, ba- a couple balls of dough, and they will sell it to you typically. Um, oh, you know, I love this. That's, or whatever. Out of, yeah, out of all the options, that's my number one. I want it coming yeah. from the hands of, of, of trusted artisans. Uh, yeah. I mean, Italy, Italy and Whole Foods both can can, you know, uh, have quality control. But I like the idea of walking in and saying, give me give me the fresh stuff. Yeah. So if you know if the pizzeria, like go there. So, all right. So you got get your fresh couple balls of dough. Um, what you want to do is you put that skillet in the oven, like 500 degrees, get that oven as hot as you can, get that skillet hot as you can. You take once it's nice and hot, you take the, the skillet out. You sh- meanwhile, you're sort of stretching carefully. out the dough. Yeah, well, carefully, yes. Well, I'm going to talk about that. So you've got the dough, a uh, little flour on your board. You're stretching it out. So it, it's it's kind of oblong. It looks – it's not so pretty looking, but it's, you know, it's more or less circular in some form. Um, and then you lay that dough into the hot pan. Usually I put a little bit of oil on the bottom of the pan just okay. so it's a little lubricated. Lay what kind of oil? There. Does it Does it matter what kind of oil? Uh, no, but olive oil is fine. Um, okay, good. So you That's lay that in there. And then, all right, so here's you. You're going to need sauce. You're going to need cheese. So let's run through that. And then you need toppings. Um, for sauce, keep it as simple as possible. Buy a jar of 
plainly pureed tomatoes. If you want basil in there, that's fine. But don't buy pizza sauce like in the grocery store. Just get like the good imported Italian pureed tomatoes or... Um, if you don't have a 10-year-old who complains about lumpy tomatoes, you can just buy a can of good San Marzano Italian tomatoes and crush those with your hands. Like literally squeeze them into a bowl through your fingers, um, and it gets all nice and chunky and delicious. And pour out a little of the excess water into that, either to the puree or the chunky tomatoes, a little olive oil, a little salt. And then what I like to do is take one clove of garlic and sort of grate it over the sauce on like a little microplane, you know, hand grater, and just mix that together. Salt pepper, oil, garlic. That's all you need. You do not need all these dried spices and seasonings in there. It's nonsense. So you got your simple sauce. Yeah. I want to stop you though. Uh, Two things. First of all, how do you take the dough that's like at probably it's room temperature? uh, You're you're grabbing a skillet that has been heated inside of a 500 degree uh, hearth and you've put it on the counter. How quickly do you need to get the dough into the skillet? Uh, it's, it's not like, yeah, you're fine. It, it, you know, it's hot as hell. It's going to stay hot as hell for a while. That's why okay. cast iron that, is so that's, good. that's the point. Um, that, that's the point of cast iron. But then how do you like, do you form the dough inside of it? I know you've tried to make the half circle already, but this thing is a yeah, you, 500 you, degree burning uh, object. And, and you're so, trying to yeah, take, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm going to get there. First thing, uh, when you take the, when you take the skillet out of the oven, you've got a hand towel that you're taking it out with. Yes. As I've learned way too many times, leave <laughs> the hand towel on the handle. Okay. Because as you're going reaching for this and that, at some point you're going to reach at that handle again. If that hand towel isn't there, it's going to hurt a lot. And I learned that lesson again last night for like the 29th time. So damn it, Rappo. Damn it. Towel, towel stays on the handle. Okay. Um, so you've kind of late, sorry. So you got your, I'm going to get to the, how you do it. You get your sauce and then cheese. You want mozzarella, but you don't want like the fancy Buffalo mozzarella that has too high of a water content. You want low moisture mozzarella. So either some places make their own domestic homemade mozzarella. That's pretty stretchy and, and delicious. Or you just get the grocery store kind that comes in that block. But you, again, you don't want that super expensive, fancy Buffalo mozzarella that you would get in a fancy Italian restaurant. So you take your mozzarella, you've got it all shredded. You've got the sauce ready to go. You lay, carefully lay your Frisbee-shaped sort of pizza dough into the skillet. And then what I do is you do a little drizzle of oil on on the dough, and then I start to spoon the sauce onto the dough, okay? And as I'm spooning the sauce onto the dough, I'm kind of using the back of the spoon to sort of push the dough against the sides of the skillet to sort of assume the shape of the skillet, if that makes sense, you know, cause I'm not yeah, going to use yeah. my bare hands cause that's a little dangerous. So, and it's, and it's nice. And so I've got the sauce, I got the olive oil on the top and the bottom, I'm pushing it around. So it's kind of assuming the more or less the shape of the skillet. Then I'm taking the cheese. I've shredded up the cheese by hand. So it's in just mis- misshapen pieces. I'm sprinkling that all over the, po- uh, over the pizza. Um, at this point, what people forget to do, you need to add a little salt. Because tomato, so- tomato sauce, it, unless you, it depends on how heavily salted, that's got no salt in it. Mozzarella basically has no salt. So you want to sprinkle the whole thing with some salt. You got a little olive oil going on top. And then, listen, you can do that to your classic margarita, a.k.a. plain pie. Put that back in the oven at 500 degrees on the top third of the oven and just let it go for about 10 minutes or so. You can, you can eyeball it. You, you'll know when it's done. You'll see it getting all puffy and caramelized and delicious. Um, 
And that's awesome uh, right then and there. What's a lot of fun, though, is also, all right, well, what toppings we want to do, you know? How, yeah. can we, how can we juice this up a little bit? So I've got my, my sauce in a bowl. I've got my mozzarella in a bowl ripped up and ready to go. I love to buy, I will buy a couple of like sweet Italian sausages, take them out of the casing and saute that in a pan all crumbled, you know, so it just yeah. starts to brown. Yeah. Take that off the heat. Meanwhile, and in another pan before my friends and guests come over, I will caramelize like a big Vidalia onion, slice it up oh. in, saute it in a bunch of olive oil with a little bit of salt um, and just kind of medium heat until it gets nice and caramely. If you're doing it in a, a non, non-stick pan, every now and then you might need to pour a little water in there just to scrape up the crispy bits on the bottom and yes. sort of get that caramelization process going or not going, right. but you don't want it to burn. Um, so I have a bowl of caramelized onions. I've got a bowl of crumbled sausage. I also like to do, um, if you ever do this, when a pizza comes out of the oven, you take a bunch of uh, dressed arugula, like maybe just some olive oil, lemon juice, and salt, and pile that on top of the pizza along with some thin, paper-thin sheets of uh, prosciutto. That's oh, yeah. really good. Yeah, that's a classic. Um, well, that's a big hit in the house household. We order pizzas with the fresh arugula and the prosciutto, and then and you know... Uh, quickly, whether the pizzeria is is committed to quality or not, depending on how fresh the the arugula is, and how you know whether any of it gives the indication of have, having been cooked. If it's been cooked at all, then it's a it's a failure, and we don't order the the prosciutto and the arugula pizza from them anymore. But that 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 uh, topping is 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 uh, wonderful. I'm gonna let you finish. I have a couple more technical questions, but but please okay. continue. Couple more thoughts. I mean, another one other thing, which is nice to do for just a basic margarita or any pie. Um, you've got your tomato sauce. You've got your torn mozzarella. A sprinkle of freshly ground Parmesan is also nice because the Parmesan introduces a salty sort of funkiness that mozzarella does not have. So that's you don't, you don't need a ton of Parm, but just a little bit of Parm helps a lot. I also love doing like a white and green pie where I don't do tomato sauce. I'll do this do some olive oil on the top of the crust, lay down the mozzarella and then drizzle it with pesto. You know, oh. if you have homemade pesto, like I did from the end of summer in the fridge, that's great. Otherwise, you know, you can buy pretty decent jarred pesto at a lot of good Italian markets these days, you know, and, and that's just really nice. So I've got the, 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 mozz, the, the pesto going, um, also a lot of times I like to use really thinly shaved fennel and sausage uh, goes really nicely yes, together, yes, put yes, that on top. Yes, um, yes. but that's what's fun. There's so many different sort of combos you can do. The only thing I would say about pizza cast iron skillet pizza night in America is that if you are the pizzaiola, if you're the guy making the pizza, yep. you're working, you know, yeah. everyone else is sitting down and enjoying it and you are too, but you know, you're manning, you're manning the oven. So don't, yeah, you're, you're on top of it. You're maybe you're, you have two skillets going and you're one's in the oven you're getting the other one happening. You're, you know, you're making sure you got enough of the dough and the, and the cheese and everything. Um, so it's, it's an active pursuit and everyone else loves you for it, but you know, yeah, you're on the clock. All right, quick break from this conversation with our boy Rappo. You know what is not smart, my friends? It's listening to this food podcast, hearing what Adam Rappaport has to say about the Thanksgiving basics, and then failing to execute on his recommendations. I'm telling you, hungry homies, you must listen to this advice and put it to good use. You know what is smart? 
going to ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's a powerful matching technology that's out there scanning thousands of resumes and identifying people with the right skills, education, and experience to fill your job. ZipRecruiter actively invites these candidates to apply so that you are getting qualified candidates fast. That is why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating coming from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. That's a validation, my friends. Right now, House of Carbs listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. It is ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. ZipRecruiter.com slash C-A-R-B-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. How many folks does a does a 12-inch skillet, because you know how I like to eat. You've We've eaten together. Yeah. Is, that, yeah. is that a pizza for one, or can I share that? I would say what you'd want to do is like, it's a pizza for one, if you or I are eating, um, so you could definitely take that down. What the notion would be that you're say you're doing five or six pizzas over the course of the evening, you know? Oh, I see. And so as, if there's four people or six people, like everyone takes a slice, you have another one coming out in five or eight minutes and everyone takes a slice of that one. So you're kind of sampling as you're going. So you're not eating one whole pie yourself. You're eating a slice from six or a slice or two from six consecutive pies, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because you're you have the cast iron. It's a party, is the way you're imagining this. It's a party, is the part, yeah. it's a party food. It's perfect for uh, a football gathering or, or you know, uh, early season NBA gathering if that's your cup of tea or college football gathering. Uh, and you just you just have them working. Now, the other yeah. I mean, I uh, say two things. Go ahead. I would, two things. I would say it's. It's optimal if you have two pans that can do the trick. Yeah. So, so like right. I said, as one's finishing off, you're getting another one going, you're sliding in there. Also, this is also great if you have one of those kitchens, like in a Nancy Myers movie, like It's Complicated or something, where you have the big kitchen island and people are sitting around on the stools and you got the Sonos speakers and everything in there, maybe even a TV. This is Shout perfect, out Sonos. You know? Good one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm a, I'm a Sono subscriber. <laughs> all right. So, so in this multiple pie environment, Rappo, how do you get the pie out of the skillet? Oh, so the, the, just with the spatula, the pie will come right out. It, it, oh. It's not sticking or anything. Yeah. It I was anticipating. Right you do not, you do not want to bring the skillet to the table because people will burn the hell out of themselves. Yeah. So you, but a spatula and it pops out. This is, I wasn't anticipating that. I thought there might need to be some give and some tug and some slide and no, the whole thing. Generally, because the, you know, the pan's so hot um, and the dough will get nice and firm and crispy on the bottom. So it, it, uh, it, it, it does not. It's not like one of these Neapolitan style pies that are kind of very droopy and soft. Like it's pretty firm on the bottom, and you, it slides right out. I mean, you know, maybe use a hand to, to support it, uh, but I just put it on a straight on a decent sized cutting board, and I will chop up the pie. Sometimes I'll just bring the cutting board straight to the table, which is nice. You know, yeah, that, that that's that. great. All part of the presentation. If you have a, a, exactly. a, a nice looking uh, cutting board, like I'm sure you do. All right, my last technical question. You described a couple different uh, concepts 
for the sauce. Uh, and I love the idea of the crushed Marzanos uh, and also uh, the pureed tomato. So that you are, you're, uh, you know, customizing according to taste. My surprisingly in my house, my wife is the one who wouldn't want the crushed tomatoes. She insists on, on uh, tomato paste. We make all of our pasta sauce from paste. Um, but what are you talking about? I'm talking about when we make pasta, she, we begin with, with, um, jarred paste as the base for oh. it and then build up from there because she does not like any lumps at all. She wants there to be wait, basically wait, wait, no what indication adding, whatsoever. You're adding what to the paste? Uh, oil and water. And then, and then you build up your entire, um, spice profile. We like a, a, a real arrabbiata in my house. And so there's wow, red pepper in there, I mean, there's salt in there. And then we, we take like, you know, whatever the ingredient is, whether it's sausage or ground beef or whatever. And that, that adds to the flavor profile as well. But, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say she's wrong, but that is a unique approach. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I mean, it's just but how, you, how we buy, like it. You can buy the pureed potato, uh, tomatoes, you know, it's like, not, a, like a there's by pureed sandwich tomatoes. There's still, it's still got a little bit of a texture that she just oh doesn't God. go for. Wow. But look, here's, here's the thing I want to know about for the purposes of these pizzas. The pureed tomato uh, and the crushed, and you, you, you referenced it, um, tend to get a little watery. How do you get the consistency right for, for, for a pizza, pizza sauce? Yeah, I don't. I, I think if you do if you do the hand crushed route where you're crushing the tomatoes in your hand and you're into a bowl, I think you need to drain off some of that water um, before you doctor it with the salt and the garlic uh, and the oil. Um, I don't typically have that problem with the puree. It's a bit more okay. even, but you know, okay. it, it, yeah, it, it's a, it's a little wet, but also. I think another problem a lot of Americans make uh, and sort of second grade pizza joints is they put, they put too much sauce on their pie. Um, yeah. It should be, it's a really good pizza is about the crust and the same thing with pasta. It's about the crust and you want a thin sort of film of, of sauce and enough, but not too much cheese. Um, and yeah, the, the, the toppings should be balanced. And if you want more, you make another pie. Um, and then in terms of, if you want to make homemade uh, dough, which I highly recommend if you're the type who likes a project and if you have the time, um, buy uh, the book Pizza Camp by Joe Badia, um, which he used to run Pizzeria Badia in Philadelphia, which we named the best pizzeria in America a few years ago. Um, oh, my. And he he powered down that place because he would make 40 pies a night, and that was it. And he would make every pie by himself. And it was just him and a cashier, and that was the entire place. Um, he's now going to be opening a bigger restaurant that's more full service, more pizza, more other stuff. Um, so he's in between restaurants. But his book is awesome. It is an amazing homemade crust. Uh, so it's called Pizza Camp by Joe Badia. Highly recommend. Oh, great, great, great shout-out for Joe. Uh, is, he, is his new establishment going to be also in Philadelphia? Also in Philadelphia, and also Joe is a hilarious guy, um, has been on the Howard Stern Show maybe once or twice. Big, he's, he's a character, uh, and he's a wow. fun follow on Instagram as well. Uh, that's that's great. I mean, I, I'm dying to get back up to Philly. I did a little bit of a belly takeover um, December of last year, and we toured the the Michael Solomonoff empire, but I'm, I'm dying to oh, get yeah. back up there and, and do some Italian. I got to get to South Street Barbacoa. I didn't get any donuts. I, mean, I had beautiful donuts at, at uh, Federal... Uh, district, federal district, federal, yeah, federal donuts, donut, federal donuts, 
and yeah, absolutely barbacoa. Um, totally worth the trip. Uh, Christina Martinez, who runs that joint, is just a such a warm, special human being. Uh, and her, yeah, the barbacoa tacos are just yeah, they're they're legendary. B- worth all. So the I hype. think I'll just I'll time that Philly trip. Uh, I'll le- link it up with when Joe's new uh, pizza joint uh, is open and ready for action. All right, I think yeah, and you catch the uh, 76ers game while you're there. We could. You had Ben Simmons and, and, and his triple-double train. I'm all over that, literally with my pocketbook. Anyway, Rappo, <laughs> we have – that's a wonderful dish. This this should soothe uh, uh, the the the, the uh, fall belly and take people right on into winter. And there's no reason to stop making skillet pizza in the winter. So uh, thank you for that. Let's now talk a little bit about the holidays. And we're going to just really focus on – Thanksgiving. Uh, and last year you came on and we we went through a bunch of do's and don'ts for kind of hosting Thanksgiving. You gave out a bunch of great strategies. This year, um, we're going to sort of narrow the focus down a little bit. I know you have some recommendations on how to do kind of a winning, a winning meal. Uh, and, and we'll just refer everybody to last year's episode if you need a treatment of the entire Thanksgiving experience. You have to listen to House of Carbs from November of 2017. Uh, this year, 2018, we're going to talk about the basics and how to get them right. Um, hit me with 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 a couple recommendations. Okay, so I would like to focus on mashed potatoes, stuffing, and gravy. Because in my mind, those are the three most important things on the Thanksgiving table. I can eat obscene amounts of all of them. And like, you know, like turkey... Turkey is fine. It's like it, it has to be on the table. Um, the skin is tasty and crispy and delicious, but no one typically loves turkey. And and if you want to if you want to put the effort in, like I've done confit legs and thighs before, like in oil, I've braised them before. That gets delicious. Carla Music, our food director here at Bon Appetit, she likes to do a butterflied turkey that she grills. That's kind of cool. Spatchcock? Um, you know, is it a spatch a spatchcock turkey? Yes. Spatchcock, if you want to use a fancy word for it, and that's kind of a yeah. cool thing. She does it on her Weber. Um, yeah. That's a cool thing. You can do it in big green egg sort of situation as well. Um, so those are all cool things. But I want to talk about, again, these, these these things like stuffing and mashed potatoes and gravy, which sort of makes every those – are, those are the essentials on every plate. You, you know, you're going back for thirds and fourths. You're always getting those on your plate. They are the linchpin of the Thanksgiving meal in my mind. And I think most people could probably do them a little bit better than they do. So I would like to offer some pointers if that's okay. Please, please. This is what we're all about here on the House of Cars. Okay, so, all right, let's talk mashed potatoes. Um, <laughs> Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. I love it. <laughs> all right, mashed potatoes. Uh, first of all, Yukon Gold Potatoes, those are our favorite here at BA. Uh, they, they, they have that beautiful yellow color. I think they have a slightly sort of richer, buttery taste than Idaho, which is what you typically use when you make a baked potato. Um, so you got your... Uh, Yukon Gold, I like to peel them. Uh, when you, you're putting them in cold water and you're bringing them to a boil, what you have to remember, and some people don't do this, you have to generously salt that uh, boiling water because that's what's going to infuse the potatoes with flavor. If you don't salt the water well, the potatoes are going to be bland, and then when you're at the table, you're sort of adding salt and adding salt and adding salt, and it just never works. So salt it on the front end, and you won't have to salt it on the back end. Um, so you you get those so they're uh, tender all the way through when pierced with a sharp knife. As soon as they're done, drain them and then put them back in the hot pot, um, either on the heat or just as the, the stove where it was hot. Because
because you want them to steam a little bit. You want to get any excess moisture sort of cooked off, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. Yeah, because you don't want wet potatoes. You want to get all that excess moisture. You can even turn the heat on low beneath the pot. Get all, get them steaming. You can shake them up at that point because you're going to mash them anyway, so they don't need to be in perfect shape. Um, right. right. So you get all the moisture out. What I love is either using a ricer or a food mill. A ricer is one of those contraptions that looks like a giant garlic press. Yes. Um, and you literally just put the potatoes in there over a bowl and you squish it down and it extrudes it like Play-Doh. Um, and what you can do when you're doing this is you can put the butter in with each hunk of potato because that fat will sort of coat the starch molecules, which has to do with keeping it fluffy and not getting gooey. So you're getting all the potatoes extruded, no lumps, butter in there with it. And then meanwhile, on the stove, you have a pot of half cream, half milk, hot, but not scalding, you know, um, yeah. and you're pouring that into the extruded potatoes and using a spatula to blend it all together. And the thing is, and you want salt and pepper. The thing is, most people don't add as much liquid as they should. You want those potatoes super creamy. Like if you ever go to a really good restaurant and you're like, oh my God, why are these potato pureed potatoes so creamy? It's like a food mill, B, butter, C, there's enough cream or milk to keep them sort of loose and puddingy and not lumpy, you know? Yeah. Um, so you do that, and then you can do that ahead of time. Because like I said, when you're, if you've ever hosted Thanksgiving, there's so many things going on when it's about time to sit down. You don't want to be making mashed potatoes from scratch. What you want to do to sort of bring them back to life is gently heat them in a pot over medium-low heat. Or if you want to, you can do the fancy thing where you do the double boiler where you put the water in a pot, bring the water to a boil, put the bowl over the pot. That's kind of a French cooking tool thing. What? Cool. What? You want to do that. what are you doing? That sounds complicated. I don't understand. What do you do? A ban, ban marie <laughs> in French would be a ban marie. A double boiler is what we call it. So you say you have a, a large pot of water that's boiling, that's simmering. Yeah. It's like a half-filled yeah. pot. Then meanwhile, you have like a mixing bowl that you set into the pot that's just above where the water level is. I, I see. So that, okay. That that steam heats the bowl instead of fire directly heating the bowl. Yeah, so if, okay. you, if you ever need to if you ever need to melt chocolate, you chop up the chocolate in chunks, put it in a bowl and set it over steaming water and that's what melts the chocolate because you don't want to burn the chocolate on fire. So anyways, you And you're that. saying that's where you, you could you could dump your potatoes into that bowl. Into a mixing bowl, you set that mixing bowl over a boiling pot of water. You don't Got want to submerge it. it but just over it and, and reheat it that way. But as you're reheating it, you will need to add more hot liquid, you know, milk and, and cream, some mixture thereof to, again, to sort of rehydrate those potatoes because they will tighten up as they're sitting around. They'll still be delicious. Just add a little bit more liquid to rehydrate them. So that's your potatoes. And again, like my thing is that people are like, oh, do you do like horseradish potatoes or roasted garlic or this and that? Like you could, but there are so many other flavors on the Thanksgiving table. Like I want my mashed potatoes to taste like mashed potatoes. I want butter, cream, salt and potatoes yeah. you know yeah i got yeah. enough well, i got enough else going on there's 17 other things on my plate i don't need horseradish in my mashed potatoes well and, so. and the 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 reason i think an additional reason not to have any competing ingredients in the potatoes is because the anticipation at least for me is that i will in i i usually like to eat two bites of mashed potatoes before I layer in any gravy, but the gravy is the thing that's going to pr provide the, the the flavor profile to go along with the, the, the potatoes. Thank you. Yeah, that that'll that'll provide the depth of flavor. So that's your mashed potatoes. In my mind, you can't make too much mashed potatoes. It's literally impossible. So 
I won't just eat them till like you know till everyone leaves the house. Um, all right, so that's mashed potatoes stuffing. You know, you can. There's a lot of different ways you can go with stuffing in terms of flavor profiles. What you know, do you want it to be yeah, more Italian? Do you want it to be more this, more that? Hundreds um, of recipes out there. Yeah, yeah. It's cornbread versus this. You know, pecan, all right. that stuff. Yeah. The most important thing to remember, again, it comes down to liquid. Most people's stuffing are not moist enough, and they're not moist enough because they don't put enough stock in the stuffing. So, you know, my mom, she'll make the most traditional stuffing. She's got, like, the bag of Pepperidge Farm stuffing mix, like the breadcrumbs, <laughs> the seasoned breadcrumbs. She's got sure. the Jimmy Dean sausage, you know, yeah. browning on the, on the stove. And then she mixes it with celery and some onions, folds it all together. She also does a thing where she'll, like, grind up the, the turkey giblets, which is, like, the liver and the heart and all that stuff that comes in the little bag in the turkey, you know? Um, and she makes, a, she makes a little stock with that. She'll put that in the stock to simmer away from a while. Um, but when you've got all your stuff in the bowl, so you got your, your bread, your either stale ripped up bread or stuffing mix, you've got your, you know, celery, onions, you've got your, your sausage. You want to make that mixture wet. You, and you want like, if you had, you should always either make good stock beforehand, you know, a week ahead of Thanksgiving, you can make chicken stock, you can make turkey stock, go buy a bunch of wings and bones and whatever you can get from the butcher or the meat case, um, and make several quarts of that because you're going to want it for the Thanksgiving meal, um, and thoroughly get it as moist as possible, load it into a buttered casserole, bake it for however long the, the instructions tell you to, um, and there's butter, of course, also in that, in that stuffing. And then what I love to do at the end, when the stuffing is theoretically cooked through, I always love to hit it with a broiler at the very end. So you get the top nice and crispy and crunchy, and then the interior is almost like red pudding, you know, super moist, so that's, super tender. This is the thing I wanted to, to sort of uh, test you on. How there's a ratio issue here because you you don't want it to be so moist as to, to turn into sort of a sloppy gloppy, right? How do you avoid that? Where Where's the that balance? And, and, and you know, a lot of folks will, are not going to be able to like do test drives of preparing their stuffing in advance of Thanksgiving. They're just going to prepare the stuffing that they intend to serve. They're not going to try and get these ratios right. How how, how can we steer the hungry homies here? Joe, so I, I, I've had a lot of things. Same number of Thanksgiving meals in my life as you were the same age. <laughs> um, I, I, I have had a lot of dry stuffings. I have never had a stuffing that was too moist. No one has ever great, complained about, great oh, my point. God, the stuffing is too moist. Great so, point. Great fa- point, Rappa. Fa- Follow the recipe and then add a little bit more stock on top of what the recipe tells you to do. You will, you will never go wrong. Trust me. Yeah. You will never and go that, wrong. That's and, the answer. A little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more. That's, and that's a, that's a good motto for life, Joe House. <laughs> I, I think you and I, in our time together, we've been able to uh, you know go for just yeah, a little bit exactly. more. All right. So, so we've got the mashed potatoes, creamy buttery, smooth, silky mashed potatoes. Yes. We've got stuffing that's moist and sausagey and a crunchy, crispy, buttery top. And then, all right, we need gravy. Because both we those need guys gravy. like gravy. But both the stuffing and, and the potatoes are yearning for gravy. They're dying um, so for it. That's right. There are different ways to do gravy. The pro move is to do the gravy 
as the French chefs would say, a la minute. So you're basically doing it to order. While the turkey is resting on its cutting board, you've got all those drippings and crispy bits in the roasting pan, and you are using that. Uh, you're, you're, you're making a roux with flour and turkey fat. You're then pouring in stock, maybe a little wine, and that turns into a, a beautiful gravy. That's great, but you've got to do that while everyone's in the house and kids are screaming and everyone's hungry and you know, you're trying to, you got to worry about carving the turkey and all that sort of stuff. Um, you can also make a very good gravy ahead of time. We have a recipe in the New Bon Appetit, uh, which we call umami gravy because uh, it gets hit up at the end with a little um, soy sauce, actually, to add a depth of flavor. But wow. with this one, you're taking store-bought chicken stock um, and you're, uh, you're sort of hopping it up. You're, you're imbuing it with flavor with chopped shiitake mushrooms, a charred sort of heavily caramelized onion. Um, you're doing things to provide more depth to that stock. So it, it, it really has some flavor than instead of just being like, eh, now you're like, ooh, this actually tastes like something. So you're making a roux, which is, you know, which is also the foundation of gumbo. Uh, but in this case, you, you take flour, you put that in a big saucepan, fry pan, over medium heat, so it just starts to smell nutty and toasty. Uh, and to that, you're adding fat. Could be turkey fat, or in this case, in this advanced method of making gravy, uh, melted butter. And, it, and ah. you stir it all together until it takes on like a sandy, gritty quality almost. You know what I mean? And you, yes. and, you, and you cook that through a little bit more. And then all you're doing is slowly pouring your fortified stock into that roux, vigorously whisking so it, there's no lumps. It all gets nice and smooth. And that becomes a silky, beautiful gravy with a depth of flavor that, 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 that you expect on the Thanksgiving table. We, like I said, we like to hit it up with a little soy sauce as that little something, something where you're like, Ooh, that's nice. What is that flavor? Um, and that is just, you know, it, it, it makes everything on the Thanksgiving plate that much better. So you, uh, mentioned kind of the logistic challenge that is Thanksgiving. And I know that this upcoming, the November issue of, 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 uh, Bon Appetit, uh, lays out the perfect framework to execute all the various pieces. The gravy traditionally is always prepared last because you need the turkey fat and and the other elements of of it to the the, the other enriching elements. Um, how can you uh, is it do you, can you delegate it or or you know because what you just described is a little bit labor intensive and if it is happening well, no, in, this, in that moment, it's no. House, you weren't listening. This gravy you can do ahead. You're not relying on the drippings in the pan. You're uh, making the roux with flour and melted butter. You've got store-bought stock that you have fortified with these other ingredients earlier in the day. So you're whisking it in. You're making this gravy ahead of time. Then you're just keeping it on the stove, just keeping it warm. So you don't. So I was to, stuck. I was stuck on the idea yeah. that the fat in the roux was coming from by way of turkey fat. But no, no, no. It, the butter is is the fat that you use, so yeah. you can have this in, prepared in an orderly manner. And what I'm saying is the pro move, like my mom, Maxine Rappaport, will always do the gravy last. She will use the turkey fat, you know, but she's been done. My mom, too. This is what I, I, right, exactly. But, but Joe House, we are not our mothers. We're just two guys just trying to get (laughs) our shit together. So, you know, this this is, this is one last thing to stress out about. 
at in the eleventh hour. Because if you have ever hosted Thanksgiving, like by the time it's time to sit down at the table, typically your kitchen is like a disaster area. You've forgotten three things. Your kids are hungry. You have all these other things to worry about. Let's just cross some of those things off the list. And when you're when you're confident enough that you can do the last minute gravy, then absolutely go for it. But this is a cool way to do gravy ahead of time that's still flavorful, that'll still make people happy. Um, but it's just, to get, again, one more thing to cross off your list. So let me let me ask this. Uh, if you make it, say, at 10 o'clock in the morning and just ha- have it done, um, do you refrigerate it uh, or, or can it just be set aside at, and, and let it get down to room temperature, then heat it, bring it back up to heat um, when it's time to actually serve, you know, turkey and all the rest of it? Yeah, I would say you can do this a couple of days ahead, and you should refrigerate it. If you do it that day, you know, you just do like the Italians. You just leave it on the back of the stove so it kind of stays warm, but it's not boiling or anything. Uh, but, yeah, in either case, you just reheat it in a, in a, in a saucepan um, and bring it back up to temperature. Well, look, I, I think we've done it uh, yet again. Uh, for all the hungry homies, the taste buds, our culinary comrades, we have taken the most uh, uh, crucial elements of the Thanksgiving feast Pro tips handed out by Rappo, Adam Rappaport, editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit for each. And on top of that, a beautiful cast iron skillet pizza that you're going to be eating starting now. It's going to go all the way through until the first uh, uh, buds come peeping up through the ground in in what, March or April, uh, or I don't know, global warming, maybe it's February. Uh, but, But there's no reason that the cast iron skillet pizza is ever out of season. Adam Rappaport, as always, thanks for joining me, my man. Thank you, House. And if I could say you can find these recipes on bonappetit.com, just search for cast iron pizza or umami gravy or make-ahead mashed potatoes. You'll see them all there and uh, check it out. Thanks, guys. There, there we go. All For all the hungry homies, bonappetit.com, everything we just talked about is there. Thanks, Rappo. Thanks, Joe. There we go, culinary comrades. Big love and thanks, as always, to Rappo. His outstanding recommendation on the skillet pizza. Let's all go try that and take pictures of it and send it around to everybody and each other. And, of course, the Thanksgiving basics. We have food news coming up, but first, a couple quick words. Our good friends at Snake River Farms offer some of the best beef in the world. Listen to this. It's a crossbreed of highly prized, purebred Japanese Wagyu cattle and traditional American cattle breeds. These melt-in-your-mouth cuts are intensely marbled with a robust beef flavor. You can experience rich Wagyu flavors and still eat more than a couple ounces of steak. And Snake River Farms American Wagyu grades out well above USDA Prime. Most people have never had this beef marbled. No wonder it's served by chefs who know beef, ranging from up-and-coming chefs to well-known culinary geniuses and their establishments. For instance, why don't you just go find some beautiful Snake River Farms beef at Thomas Keller's French Laundry and Per Se, or at Wolfgang Puck's Cut or Masahuru Morimoto's Morimoto 
Snake River Farms has even been served in Michelin-starred restaurants, James Beard award-winning kitchens, and legendary steakhouses all over the great United States. Elevate your holiday meals, my hungry homies, this season with beef and pork from Snake River Farms' full line of steaks, roasts, and hams. Their kurubota ham and pork is kind of the Kobe equivalent of ham. I have a beautiful one of these hams in my house right now from Steak River Farms. We're saving it for the holiday season. Listen to this. House of Carbs listeners get 15% off their order. Just go to www.snakeriverfarms.com and enter promo code HOUSE at checkout www.snakeriverfarms.com promo code house for 15% off taste buds when you make thanksgiving turkey with the jules sous vide you're cooking that bird for 24 hours until it's juicy tender and by far the best turkey you have ever tasted cooking with jules lets you choose your perfect doneness so it's better than a normal recipe with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. Steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, roast, eggs, veggies. They're all coming out exactly the way you like them. It's fun to try cooking new recipes or cuts of meat because Jewel helps you make chef-level food without any effort. And you never have to worry about food being under or overcooked. Jewel even comes with hundreds of step-by-step recipes and guides for endless inspiration. Plus, cooking with Jules hands-free, so you can check the progress on your phone. There's an app for that. There's no need to babysit your food while you cook. I keep telling you, hungry homies, I'm preparing once a week a beautiful sous vide salmon. I'm going bigger and bigger with these portions because it's so easy. And I'm, I have exactly the right size pot. And I set a little bit of a, a side, very healthy lunch the next day. Or if you want to feel, have a little bit of a, a Asian flavor for your breakfast, salmon's fine in the morning. You can have salmon and eggs. Perfectly lovely. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash Jewel, that's J-O-U-L-E, and use code CARBS to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code CARBS, for $15 off. Jewel, perfect food every time. All right, Taste Buds, it is now time for Food News. Yo! Podfather. I usually say, yo, Juliet, but. Yeah, it was a last minute calling. We're here in Los it's Angeles. It's great to have one of the great backup QBs of all time when, <laughs> when something bad happens. I can just, I need a couple of throws. I'm right in. I'm ready to throw. What would that make you? The I'm like Don Strzok. Don, wow. How many people do you think? Nobody. That yeah, nobody knows that. Don. Yeah. No. yeah. Kyle, you know Don Strzok I'm Googling is? him right now. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, food news. So we should mention, you made fun of me. On this podcast about my alleged personal chef, which isn't a personal chef, it's a food prepper. You have your, you can have your take. It you was came a, to my house yesterday. I the did. Food prepper had come on Monday. Yeah. And cooked for four hours, and made us a whole bunch of delicious meals, which you then stuffed in your mouth. You had four plates and bowls of all these different great things. I mean, it's wonderful. It was, it's glorious. I, I, this first 
the topic of this first uh, uh, came up on the Cousin Sal podcast, Against All Odds, uh, where you were mentioning you had a surprise for me because we were talking about the trip oh, yeah, I we, made a few weeks ago. And the yeah. surprise was that you had a fridge full of food yeah. that somebody had prepared for you. And I was very excited by it. But as we sort of explored how it came to be that this person made food for you and the circumstances under which they acquire the ingredients and, and how it all was delivered, it sounded a lot like to me as a simple eater, like a personal chef. You have a different take. It doesn't really matter. The food that she prepares oh, you is fantastic. Apologize. You should apologize to me and to her. She makes great food. Prepper. I don't, I mean, you You can call her whatever you want to call she her. She sends us a nice, delicious menu. We had. That, and there's like 10 different options. And my wife and I discuss it. And we're like, all right, let's do this, 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 and this. You had a fantastic meatloaf. Meatloaf. Bacon topped. With like a celery mashed potato. She does healthy stuff. The whole yeah. thinking behind it was that we were doing Postmates too much. And Postmates, you know, it's, it's heavy. It's rich. There's usually more butter in it than usual. So it can kind of travel and. It's, it's just hard to order not healthy delivery. And you really, yeah. if you're ordering delivery, at least for me, the mindset, I'm not looking for the healthy option. No. I'm looking for the delicious option. No, it's at that point, you're going full delicious. Yeah. But I want to get John and Vinny's. I want to get the chicken parm, and right. I got to get the gym salad, and I yes. want the Brussels sprouts. And then nephew Kyle wants the chicken parm, and yeah. then all of a sudden we're- And a salad. Yeah, and a salad, and now we're at 10,000 calories. Yeah, I mean, so what you've done is great. You have, you've recognized in your lifestyle that you need some support to have a, 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 a variety of- of delicious, healthy options. And for that's what kids. you have. For our kids more than us. Sure. So my daughter will come home and my daughter has like soccer practice seven to nine, you know, at, at night. night. And this is, I can't believe this. How so, old? How, she's 13, 12. I know. Wow. What is she doing playing soccer at nine o'clock at night? What, what, what's going on here? It goes. Is this a California thing or is this California, everywhere? We take soccer seriously here. It's um, nine o'clock at night on a weeknight. I know. She is so much... Her schedule is so much more complicated than like what we grew up with. I just can't. I fathom we came it. home. Our parents left us alone, basically until dinner. Yeah, and you could be like, "I'm going to leave the house. I'll see you in four hours, mom." And they would have no idea where we went. Well, could I, go anywhere. We had a park, but if we had our bikes, like the park would be home base, and we would know generally to be back at the park as it was started getting dark. But yeah. we could go miles away miles. on our bikes, and we would. We used to go, when I lived in Brookline, we used to go to the Chestnut Hill dump. <laughs> sure. That's, <laughs> it was of course. A huge dump that we would go and we'd go through all the trash and try to figure out, find magazines. And well, yeah, that's Playboys it. and there Sports Illustrated I mean, and baseball cards that people threw out. That was the we era. We the dump for three hours. Then we'd bike home. My <laughs> how, mom didn't know what we were doing. How many of the occasions that you went to the dump? And I, I can, I mean, I'm immediately placing myself in exactly your circumstances and shoes because- You took a trip or two to the dump. Rummaging through- <laughs> Discarded material looking for Playboys was like an all-time pastime from yeah. like age, I don't know. Penthouse, 10. Playboy, Wii Magazine. Yes. But then Sports Illustrated. Right. Sport Magazine. Yeah. And then really baseball cards because the 70s people just threw out cards. It, yeah, it was, so we would find these cards like, you know, it wasn't like we were sifting through trash. Right. But- we, you know, we're looking around and we're like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's a box. That looks like something. And you kind of get a stick and you kind of pry it open. So, yeah, you used to go eat food in the dump, which I, I would was never disgusting. do such a thing. You How dare pizza. you? You'd How never turn down you? a meal. No, I will eat pizza f 
from somebody else that, that somebody's left behind at their at their at the table at a restaurant. I will do that still. So we're doing food news. When is this podcast running? This week? This week today. Right. today. Oh great. So the election was yesterday. Apparently election cake is a thing. Do you I, know about this? No, I never heard of election cake. Yeah, apparently this has been a thing. The first recorded recipe for election cake was 1796 by Amelia Simmons. I don't know if that's a relation is or that, not. Is that your, your great-grandma? Maybe. Great, it's like, great grandma? No, it would have been like an eight-time great. Great, 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 yeah, great, right, great, 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 great. 1800s, right. She wrote an election cake thing and called for 30 quarts of flour, 10 pounds of butter, 14 pounds of sugar, and heaps of brandy, raisins, and spices. Oh. I think I would try that now. Sure. Nice. It sounds like a kind of a rum cake kind of vibe. Yeah, a little Maybe rum cake You know, you get that boozy, that boozy raisiny kind of thing. So apparently uh, there's some people out there that were trying to make election cake a thing again, trying to bring like happiness to the election. Because, you know, a lot of people are traumatized by the election in a lot of different ways. And some people um, were reading the public, including people like you, and being like, well, what if I made you a delicious election cake? Would that put you in better spirits? I would say with Joe House, it would have. Oh, sure. Any, any. If you want to bring me cake in under any circumstances, it's going to improve my mood. And I will say, for me, the the viewing of of last night, it would have been for me uh, election cake slash Zion Williamson debut cake. Right. So that that would have been a, a Zion really, cake, an elevator. Nice big thick cake that has great athletic thick, ability. Thick. Kyle, how do you say it? T h i c c. That's not how I say it. I know I'm aware that's how it's But how being do you said. say it? Well, it's thick. It's T H I C K. Thick. Oh, uh, but but how do the kids say it? Uh, you you had it right the first thick. time. Two C's. Two C's. Yeah. Thick, thick, thick. That's how can, I want my cake. You can add as many C's as you want, I think, probably. All right. So here's another story. Senior citizens replacing teenagers as fast food workers. Um, just that's, by the headline. That's a thing. I'm into this. Yeah. What's the story? That's it. That's just, it's just a <laughs> trend. No story. It's a trend that's going on. They're recruiting in senior centers, centers and churches, and placing one ads on the AARP, trying to get people over fifty. They recruiters say over fifty old, older workers. That's have pretty young. Soft <laughs> skills. Son of a bitch. Are we senior citizens now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think we're getting double AARP cards pretty soon. They said there's uh, senior citizens friendly demeanor, punctuality, which their younger cohorts might lack. Um, so let, let's, there's a labor shortage, but I, all those things are true. So a world where fast food actually becomes a little faster or and more professional. This is what I was going to ask you. This is my question. What if it's a little slower? Because take your time, right? That's it. The pace at which the food is being prepared, I imagine, the way I would like to spin this, the mm. way I would like to think about it uh, being put into practice across this great country of ours, um, Folks from my like parents' generation, or or even uh, a generation behind them, still older than me, uh, I I like to think of them as taking their time with food preparation. Yeah, put a little thought and effort into it. That's right. Yeah. So you're you're if you're if you're at uh, Popeyes and you you have the beautiful batch of of chicken and you're dropping it into the fryer, you you might be turning the pieces in the fryer. You might be pulling them out. You're not taking the basket and dumping it onto the paper because you don't want to damage the, the chicken breast or whatever. I would be willing to wait a little bit longer to have that sort of incremental quality improvement if, in fact, that's part of what this experience is. I don't know whether it is or isn't. I like it. Me too. I think it's a good trend. So 
this is a good segue to something that happened to me on Saturday. My daughter had a game in Bakersfield, which is two hours from here. Which way? Bakersfield. Bakersfield north is like going towards Sacramento. Sac- okay, north. Got it. It is way out there. Okay. So we win the game and it's about one o'clock, maybe like one one ten. My daughter's hungry. She's like, let's go to In-N-Out. I'm like, let's just wait. I think we can do better than In-N-Out. Oh, well, let's go through Bakersfield. We'll try to find something good. So we drive. Don't really see anything good. I hop on the highway. Now she's mad at me. And I'm like, no, no, no. We passed this. We passed one of those little exits where they have the giant sign that has like the six different fast food yeah. places. So we're going and there's a, and it's like 10 minutes and she's starting to get mad. But then we see a Popeye's sign. And I'm like, oh, Popeye's. And she's like, what's Popeye's? What? So now I'm like, I'm doing a bad job as a dad. And I'm like, Popeye's is Joe House's favorite fast food. And she's like, really? I'd love Popeye's. But really, she would eat anything. So we go a little further, go a little further. And now we see the giant sign with all the choices. Uh Uh-huh. I always think of Joe House when I see these signs. (laughs) Because when we would road trip and you would... When you get hungry, you do the same thing my wife does, where you just start calling out restaurants like, oh, there's an Arby's, Denny's. And you're just, you're like dog whistling, basically. Sure. Um, so I saw this sign. It had everything. And she sees the In-N-Out Burger. So now I'm pulling off the exit, and we're getting an argument about Popeye's or In-N-Out Burger. I almost called you. Oh, I, I was trying to figure out what time it was, because I really wanted to try the Popeye's, but she's like, we just won. I I ran my ass off. I want I want a double cheeseburger. So we decided we would go to In and Out, and then go to Popeyes. Okay, great. Uh, that, that, that's I exactly the like right that. call. Yes. So I'm in line. I'm ordering her a double cheeseburger, lettuce wrap with onions, and I got hungry and I caved and I got the double cheeseburger, <laughs> animal style lettuce wrap, and uh, we got fries. We get it. Now I'm on the highway. I'm driving 80 miles an hour with using my knees for the steering wheel and just plowing into this double cheeseburger. I was thinking of you. How they do the double cheeseburger where the cheese is kind of melted between the two patties? It's 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 one of the specialties at In and Out. But then with that weird Thousand Island, whatever their animal yeah. style sauce is, yeah. I'm kind. Here's why I bring this up. I'm kind of coming around on the In and Out thing versus Five Guys because oh. you know I've been in the Five Guys corner forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That You're double a- cheeseburger is just flat out delicious. The the we will at some point do a proper burger wars treatment here on House of Carbs. We've never tackled it uh, in 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 full, uh, you know. Uh, Dr. Jack breakdown mode. Listen, it would it would be the most downloaded podcast you've ever done. Definitely don't do it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Don't do it. I, it's a special don't thing. We need a special guest for it. I think we should have a burger month on House of Carbs. Let's just do burgers for a month. Well, I mean. Burgers have been, have, the craziest food thing that's happened in the last 15 years has been this burger explosion. The resurgence of the burger. And it just in LA, there's burger places everywhere. I, we've, I've taken you to nine of them. Yes. We, and, and, and Radically different burger experiences. Yeah. In fact, even our good pals at Bon Appetit magazine have gone through their own 180-degree treatment of what kind of burger 
uh, is their preferred burger. And, and you know, it's just inside of one 12-month one period. They're going for a smash burger. The smash burger was the thing for a little while. And I just, I, I can't remember. I'm going to get it wrong. But just in the last three weeks, there's a different kind of of um, flat burger that they're they uh, they're touting the virtue. You could do a of. veggie burger episode. Well, I'm, I am my own self finally tried an impossible burger, which is you know a plant based uh, uh, burger. I'm that, aware I've had them. I thought it was fine. It's fine, but I, at I this mean point, I had bacon and cheese on it. So at this <laughs> point, I'm a veggie. You burger. know, that's the thing. It's good if you put stuff that's actually not good for you on the Impossible Burger. <laughs> if there's bacon, if there's cheese, if there's I, things that there was it it for me, it's like just have a burger at that point. I don't know. It's I, like having it's like how they they say how ten years there's gonna be these robots to have sex with that'll almost be like humans, and well, it'll be like eighty percent there that, to the to the sexual experience. That's, that's a, the Impossible Burger to me. That's a different conversation on a different podcast. Would you put bacon on that on the sex robot? Yes, but I also think the sex robot. <laughs> plays an important role again for a different conversation. So does the impossible burger. It has, well, here's the thing about the impossible burger that I liked. It was, I had it as a side item as is my way, right? I went and ordered this beautiful seafood bouillabaisse. I was in Northern California. It was a, a terrific Portuguese, uh, uh, seafood stew. I'll tell you, you, you'll always, the bouillabaisse is always on your radar. Oh, if, it, if there's a bouillabaisse on the menu, you, I mean, you that will is step in on the bouillabaisse every time. Long consideration. This was properly, uh, uh, the saffron broth was delicious. But they had the Impossible Burger on the menu. Yeah. I was hungry. I was like, oh, that will be my appetizer tonight. Right. I will have an Impossible you can't Burger. try it once. Yeah, right. I'm going to try it again. Here's what I liked about it. It was not so rich that, I, that it got in the way of uh, my enjoyment of the beautiful uh, fisherman stew, and the next day I didn't have that kind of rich that feeling of of ha- having to digest a burger. Which you know, I'm always up for it. I'm never not down for digesting a burger. I'm not going to not have a burger because of the thing. But I'm just saying it didn't lay me low. That combination. I don't want to step on Burger Week, but what is your favorite bread situation with a burger? I I um because my single favorite burger and the thing I miss the most and sometimes I cheat at Castles. Oh, in LA is the patty melt, which yeah. I've taken you to. Yeah, I like the I like the old school patty melt bread and how it's rye the bread. Juices the juices sink into the rye bread sure. and it turns it into this weird flavor that. But I also am partial to those like short onion rings that almost like attach itself to the burger. So when like you're going to put ketchup on it. It's hard to almost rip the bun off the burger. It gets stuck to it. It's like it just wants to stay with it. But that that the patty melt and and we'll get into this on burger burger month. week. Yeah, burger, burger month. month. Burger <laughs> burger six months. Burger month. Uh, the patty melt is, I would argue, more uh, in the sandwich phylum. I think it belongs more to the than than in. Oh, when I like I, what you're doing here. When, I, when I'm when I'm picturing burger, and you ask me what kind of bread do you like with a burger, I'm like a traditional potato roll kind of guy. But I like I don't want it to be a big fat one. I like it to be thin. I want the meat to sort of hang off the edges. That's my optimal. So we save it for sandwich month, is what you're saying. The the patty melt could could be in sandwich month. That's right to me because it's it's legitimately it's two full pieces of bread sliced down the middle. 
is how you eat. What's the your patty number milk. one sandwich? If you could have, you're on a desert island, and one sandwich could be delivered with you, and it's the only sandwich you get to eat for a year. What would you pick? A, a, an Italian hoagie, and there are probably oh. like uh, six different places that I could mention. None of them have sponsored the pod yet, so I'm not giving any free yeah. shout outs. Yeah, no but shout outs to you, non sponsors. There, there are, there are, and I like them from mostly the East Coast. I have not uh, tried a West Coast. You know, Italian hoagie, but the Philly, what you can get in Philly, what you can get in New York, what you can get in Jersey. And then they've all transplanted down in DC because that's what DC does. So I've tried a lot. Even up in Boston, in New England, you can get a, a legitimate, I think they call it a grinder up there, right? Grinder. A grinder. What sandwich, in your opinion, has the highest upside? Hmm. Upside. Because, like, as you know, my stance on the veal chop. The yeah. Greatest, the greatest hit or miss entree that can be ordered. It feels like chicken parm is in that in that range. I think the meatball sub, yeah, same same it's idea. So hard to pull off. Right. The amount of tomato sauce has to be perfect. Yes, there can't be too much cheese. The meatballs have to have a lot of bread in them, so it fits in with the bread. There's just a lot of ways it can go wrong, but when it's right, it's magnificent. That's why I said chicken parm. Chicken parm is another in one the like same that. way. Like the, if the chicken's overdone. If, Here's if my take too on much that. Breading though. on it. Here, do we need bread for chicken parm? Well, it, it's chicken a, parm's kind of an entree. I don't know what, if it's a sandwich. Hundred percent, one hundred ten percent agree. But if you get it in a sandwich, it's it's awesome to carry. It's awesome for mobile eating. True. Good point. So that that's all. Fair point. Yeah. Last uh, food news thing. There was a whole article about um, free pizza at the polls and people kind of jumping on this the concept of. Everyone's trapped in line for five hours in Norwalk, California. We feel bad for these people. Let's bring them some food or some coffee or whatever. It feels like it didn't take off really. But my prediction is for 2020, what a great marketing opportunity. What, what about- For like, uh, you know, Subway. <laughs> they go to Norwalk and they're just there and they're delivering subs to all the people in line. But it's really free advertising for Subway. What about this which idea? Which needs free advertising because of the stuff that's happened to them. What, what about the, the, the local municipalities, the states, the federal government getting their- effing act together and making it so people don't have to stand in line five hours to effing well, I vote. Just, that's done. What, what no, about that, that idea? No, that's... I, I, what I, the... F where do we live? How about what, what is going on in this country? You have to stand in line five hours to for an exercise that, that takes all of seven minutes? Because if you're a sentient human being, you've done all the preparation already. You can... Read the newspaper if you're old, like, like you know, uh, I don't need to disparage my parents, old like me, or you can just pull up on the internet, have all of your, I, you know, who your candidates in mind, the referendums, develop your point of view. It's a, it's a six minute exercise, punching the ticket or hitting the electronic button. I don't understand it. I've, I did a ballot. I sent it in. I mailed it in. Right. I literally mailed it How about in. That? I mailed in my ballot. That's another thing. Um, and I mailed it in. I just <laughs> you mailed it in and you it. mailed it in. But that, it's it's crazy to me that people go and they vote when it's 2018. Well, I don't I don't begrudge anybody physically going. I understand, like you know, it's the no. day. We we don't. Of course, in this country, we don't, don't give everybody do the day anymore. off. It's like not having Wi-Fi. It's like oh, I like the old way. So just get Wi-Fi. <laughs> Most people like the old way. There was lines all over the country. Yeah, well, this, well, there's a lot of anyway, dumb people in this country. Well, that's the point. And that means in 2020, you're, to your point, somebody like an enterprising Good uh, food vendor. Yeah. yeah, right. Just just pick 
the place is most notorious. Coffee would be a good one too. Coffee's wonderful, right? I mean, you or could, even a coffee stand in the line. Like, or how about little food trucks? There could have been little food trucks in the line. Well, you know what we have now in in a lot of these uh, shops in Washington D.C. If you walk in and there's a long line at say like Potbelly, yeah. the person is walking with an iPad, taking your order while you're in line. You could easily do this, apply this in the voting thing. Uh, and and then walk over with the coffee and the sandwich or walk over with the cookie and the coffee, whatever it may be, whatever, you know, you could really be elaborate about it. This reminds me of my single favorite idea of this decade. Oh. You know, but the bane of my existence is having an early flight and having to wait in the long, long coffee line at the one coffee place near your gate with the thinking being, I'll just have coffee when I get to the airport. And then you're there with 52 other people who thought the same thing. It is a murder. It is the seventh circle of hell. It really is. It's the seventh circle of hell. all-time murder. When we all, you and I are probably going to hell. When we arrive at hell, um, it's just we're going to be in that line. 6.15 in the morning. Being able to smell the coffee but not have it. Perpetually 6.15 in the morning, perpetually 50 deep line, and coffee you can smell. Speed pass. Coffee speed pass is what I want. I want a speed pass. Hold on. Because you have let me 90% hear of the people in that line. It's like the lady who, you know, it's 6.15. She's got to have a bacon, egg, and cheese. Or, you know, it's like, oh, what croissant do I want? Is that a chocolate croissant? It's like, I just want coffee. Can I get some fucking coffee? Now you know. <laughs> Can I have coffee? I want a line, a speed pass line that's just coffee. It's small, medium, large. It's coffee. It's so cups have- of coffee. And there's one person. All they're doing is pouring coffee into the cups and I go and I grab a large coffee with my little speed pass, and then I'm out. You understand that exists already? No, it's, it doesn't in the airports. Well, that's it. Why haven't the airports yet adopted they hate the, us. the Starbucks mobile order? Airports hate us. They the hate mo- our guts. The mobile order exists in, in virtually all walks they of life. They won't even let you use the card in the airports. Like, can I use uh, my Starbucks card? No, you can't use it. Like, why? You're a Starbucks. You yeah. have a sign that says Starbucks. So that that's a that's a whole other thing. The the local air, airports and Starbucks getting on sides to make the customer experience. No, because they hate us. That's they, what they're doing. They're like, you're, you have to... You have to use our business because you're in an airport and you need coffee and food. We can do whatever we want to you. We hate you. We Now, you, you did remind me of we were in Vegas in July. Yeah. And I, at the- You remember that line? That was like a 35-minute line at Caesars. And it was exactly what you described, which was people waiting until they were at the counter to engage the barista and the cashier in a dialogue around- the full offering at Starbucks, yeah. the oh, food offering. Can I get a venti hot chocolate and a grande glass? I had like a guy. The dumbest questions I've ever heard. Dial his phone at the cashier after yeah. waiting in line 12 minutes and calling his loved one and asking that loved one what they wanted and then making everybody standing around participants in this conversation yeah. while he elicited this this young, this woman's off order. And I really thought... I would have a perfect defense to murder. It was absolutely justifiable. I'm glad you brought this up because I've never been in a fight as an adult, but it's going to happen in a co- in a long coffee line before like 6.30 in the morning. 
I, that's I, when I'm going to get in a fist fight and you're going to see me on TMZ with like a sad look on my face. Well, don't do it at the and airport. You know what? I'll need coffee in the, in the mugshot. <laughs> It'll be a mugshot. I won't be sad that I got arrested. It'll be that I never got coffee. I'm just going to be asking the cop, like, you have coffee in the police station? <laughs> it's going to be there your, coffee there. Is there a Starbucks? It's going to be the coffee mugshot. Yeah, I'm going to kill oh, somebody one of these. Hey, oh, what I mean, a perfect way to end food news. Yeah, this is, I mean, this, this is a professional operation here at House of Cards. So we got Burger Month, we got Speed Pass for Coffee, and uh, and then can you make the case to my daughter, who's probably listening right now, for Popeye's in 10, 10 seconds case for Popeye's over so in Burger. it's perfectly seasoned fried chicken as though your mama made it by her own two hands labored. It is... Absolutely perfectly crispy skin. The 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 inside the flesh is always juicy, yeah. never dry. Oh yeah. And you will embrace it through all of your senses, your touching sense, your smelling sense, your taste sense, your eyeball sense. You're gonna love it, Zoe. I can't wait to have the Popeyes with you. She'll still opt for the double cheeseburger. I know it. Thanks for having me. Juliet's back next week. Thanks, Pop Father. All right, Hungry Homies, there we go. Another outstanding episode of House of Cards. If I may say so myself, please go vote. iHeartRadio.com. You can get on there and vote for your favorite food podcast of 2018. House of Carbs is a nominee. You can vote up to five times a day. I'm doing it every single morning. If you vote and can prove it, I'll buy you a cheeseburger. That's a promise from me to you. Speaking of promises... I want to see some belly sourcing of the beautiful skillet pizza that our boy Rappo described. I promise if you send me a beautiful picture of your skillet pizza, we're going to throw it up on the gram. We're at the House of Carbs. We're getting back after the belly sourcing, my hungry homies. Another show's coming up next week, of course. Until then, let's stay hungry out there.